Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number two. I'm just continuing where I left off this morning. Tonight. I don't have nothing new to say. I don't have a new, any new revelation today. But uh, probably nothing I'll say tonight is anything I, that I've not said before. But uh, Moses was instructed, even in the Old Testament, he, the Lord said, write it in a book. He said, and rehearse it in the ears. Rehearse it in the ears of the people. And so I just come as a rehearser of the word of the Lord tonight. As I said this morning, there are just certain things in God's word that you're going to touch on repetitively uh, in a church setting. You're going to talk about you're going to talk about grace. You're going to talk about faith. You're going to talk about repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost, sin filling. You're going to talk about, like we already have this year, about marriages and homes and families. You're going to talk about tithing and giving. You're going to talk about all these type of things. Holiness, you're going to talk about. You're going to talk about doctrine, uh, about the existence of God, the oneness of God. Those are things we say over and over and over again because we want that embedded in our hearts and our souls that if any man ever asks of you the hope that lies within you, you have something to say. You have something to say, and we want something to say. So I don't, again, there is nothing, I don't, I don't like got a new slant on baptism or a new slant on repentance or a new slant on the Holy Ghost. It is what it is, and it's worked for centuries. <laughs> it is what it is, and it's worked for centuries. So there isn't anything new, amen, that will come out of my mouth uh, concerning this tonight. But it's always good to bring it to back to the surface. You know how it is whenever you were uh, in school, whether it be college or whether it be high school or whatever it may have been, whenever you're studying a certain uh, topic in whatever class it may be or, or how to do something in particular in math, it's the freshest on your mind when you're studying it. All right? It's freshest on your mind. I was thinking the other day that there will probably be a day that I won't be able to help my children anymore with their math. Not because I didn't have that math but because it's been so long since I had that math. I probably won't be able, if she ever gets to derivatives like pre-calculus, I won't be able to help her with that. Now, I did that stuff, but that's been a few years ago now. And so it's not fresh. And so that's the reason why we come back to these cardinal truths of God's word, because if you don't watch it, they can become, if you will, stale in your heart and in your mind. And it's good to have those uh, re, re uh, uh, kind of audit the class again it's good to audit the class every once in a while amen so I, I, I may be more in the teaching mode there'll be glimpses of preaching uh, the difference is one you know teaching is explanation preaching is proclamation and I have a hard time separating the two I like to dabble a little bit of teaching in my preaching even when I'm proclaiming I like to explain because I would hate to be found at fault that somebody doesn't understand amen I'd stand up all day. Bless God, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. I can do that. I, I could go from the, man, days whenever I was younger, I started out of the chute just like I did right now. 
did. But if you don't know why, and we are in a major generation today that wants to know the why. Amen? Amen. Acts 2, we do, we do need to know the why. Acts 2, verse 37 and verses 38. Your Bible, these are probably highlighted. You've probably highlighted this and it's went through five pages in your Bible. You've underlined it so much that you got tears and rips on this page, right? Acts 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that some awesome verses right there? They are. I don't want them to ever become old, unmeaningful to me or us. Amen. In this place. Amen. Tonight, I want to simply speak about baptized in the name. Baptized in the name. Don't have nothing new, but I have something that has saved every individual since the beginning of the church back in, in, in Acts chapter number two forward. Amen. And we need it in order to make it to heaven. Amen. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you right now. I need Jesus, you, Lord, in this place today. God, I pray, oh, Lord, touch every mind, every heart, and every soul. God, as we once again consider the word of the Lord. God, these are words to live by. These are words to die by. These are words, Lord, that will judge, Lord Jesus, our lives. I pray, oh God, and I need you, Lord Jesus, God, to weigh in on my life today. God, I'll thank you and I'll praise you, Lord, for what you accomplished, Lord, here this evening. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, baptized in the name. And that's the name of Jesus. You may be seated today in Jesus' name. Acts chapter number 2. Such a glorious high, amen, mark of the apostolic and Pentecostal faith. Acts chapter number 2. Peter here on this particular day does not have a solitary race, does not have a solitary nation that he is speaking to, but the crowd is a very much so mixed crowd. He has perhaps every nation and every tongue of differing sorts that are represented on this day. A sampling is given to us in verses 9 through 11 of the people that are gathered together on this day of Pentecost. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the Bible says, dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, all these different nations and more are represented here in Acts chapter number 2. And he, he told them this variety of people, uh, different nations and different creeds. He told every one of them that they must be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It didn't matter what country they were from didn't matter what the color of their skin was or what their socioeconomic status was in the world. He told them the same. The answer was the same for every single one of them, that they must be baptized. He even told the 11 disciples prior to his ascension into heaven that they were commissioned to teach all nations, baptizing them, that is, all nations, in the name. 
Amen. And while we see early on in the book of Acts that the Jews were baptized, and we see also in Acts 8 that the Samaritans were baptized, the Ethiopian eunuch was. We see in Acts 10 that Cornelius in his household, a Gentile, was baptized. Peter tells us that we should repent and be baptized baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody say for. For the remission of sins. That preposition for is very important. That preposition for means to or into a place, time, or purpose. In other words, you shall be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for a purpose, in a time, in a place, for a purpose and so when we, we we repent and are baptized we are repent and are baptized into the purpose or said differently the purpose is revealed after the preposition for we we the purpose that we are baptized for is for the remission of sins which means the removal or the releasing of sins and i need that I need that because I don't know if you notice what Scripture said concerning us or not, but all sinners need to repent. And all mankind that's born of a woman enter the world as a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so everyone, all-inclusive, needs baptized in the name of God of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, when we read in the Gospels that the man Christ Jesus came, he came to John the Baptist, which was the forerunner of Christ, and he came to John with a purpose, and his purpose was to be baptized. Amen. Jesus came to John for the purpose of being baptized. The man in which the Bible says Jesus knew no sin, he was without sin, in him is no sin. All these scriptures say this concerning Jesus. And yet he came to John to be baptized. He doesn't know sin, but I do. I'm after the, I'm after the, the, the way of David, who was shapen in iniquity, who in sin his mother conceived him. And so we are all sinners, and we all need remission, removal of that sin, amen, that is in our life. The Bible says in Revelation 21 and verse 27, and there shall in no wise enter into it any thing that defileth. It's talking about heaven. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You can't enter into heaven with sin. I know it's simple. I don't have nothing new to tell you, but you can't enter into heaven with sin. Anything that defiles, anything that works abomination, anything that makes a lie, you can't get into heaven. So I need baptism. If I plan on making heaven my home someday, I need repentance and I need baptism for the releasing, the removal of sin. It's important. Amen. Now granted, John baptized many people. He baptized the, many of his disciples and his disciples also did some baptizing. But their baptisms, according to the word of God, were baptisms unto repentance. We looked at that uh, quite, quite a bit this morning. These baptisms could do nothing more for them than baptizing them unto repentance. A, a signaling, a confession of their own repentance. Amen. Could do nothing more because Jesus Christ had not died yet. Jesus Christ had not been buried yet. 
Jesus Christ had not rose from the dead yet. And since Christ had not died and since he had not been buried, the scripture in the epistles that says that we are buried with him in baptism could not take place for them yet because Christ has not even been buried yet. But John's baptism did, though, allow the people to admit that they were sinful people. That they were people in need of something more than what they had. And so as they would be baptized, they would confess their sins. They would have fruits, meat for repentance. But more importantly today, the reason why Jesus came to be baptized of John was to bring a revelation to the nation of Israel that he was the one that would baptize them with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The Bible says in John chapter number 1, and verse number 31, got a lot of scriptures. Just ask me to up there. They're, they're ready. They're on guard tonight. The Bible says, I knew him not. This is John the Baptist speaking. I knew him not, speaking of Jesus. But that he should be made manifest, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. This is what John says. He said, I didn't, I didn't quite know. And there's others that don't know. A lot of Israel are not privy to the fact. He said, but so that it might be made manifest. So that it might be known. He says, I've come here and I'm baptizing with water. So that the manifestation will happen. Look what he says in the next verse. Verse number 32. And John bear record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And it abode upon him. Who? Jesus. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. The same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And so Jesus, he didn't have sin. He didn't need baptism for the purpose of taking away sin. He needed to be baptized by John so that the world would know that he was the one that would baptize them with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. And so he's baptized of John for that purpose. All of Israel would now know that's the man because John's already been given a sign. If the dove comes, it descends and it lands upon him and remains, that's the one that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Can someone say amen? Not only did John's baptism uh, reveal the manifestation of Jesus Christ being the one that would baptize others with the Holy Ghost, but it also underscored the importance from the very onset that baptism happens by immersion. Where John was baptizing, the Bible says there was much water, John 3, 23. It even describes Jesus coming up out of the water, Matthew 3, 16, Mark 1 and 10. I got a lot of references I could give you. But Jesus was an example to the people, amen, concerning their baptism that it should happen by immersion and also that they would know that he's the one they should look to concerning the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, the Bible says in Matthew 3 and verse number 15, and Jesus answering and said unto him, speaking to John, amen, he's speaking to John, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. That's Matthew 3 and verse number 15. That chapter starts out, whenever we read of it, 
a little bit before there, the Bible speaks that John is saying, Lord, I don't want to be, I don't want to baptize you. You need to be baptizing me. Amen. They're having this conversation back and forth. I, I have need to be baptized of you, John is telling Jesus. And so Jesus tells him, he says, suffer it to be, suffer it to be so right now that you are baptizing me for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was not refuting John, saying, John, you don't need baptized. That's not what Jesus, he wasn't saying, John, you don't need baptized by me. No, 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 no. But he was letting John know, we're going to bring some meaning here to this mode of baptism by me being baptized. He said, for right now, you go on and baptize me. And in doing so, we will fulfill all righteousness all righteousness other translations say it like this other translation says we will do all that God requires or we will do the right thing for us to do is to do everything a good man ought to do amen the Old Testament phrase the righteousness of God referred to God's acts of righteousness which he brings about by salvation for his people. In fact, in the Old Testament, righteousness became a synonym for salvation. When you talked about righteousness in the Old Testament, you were talking about salvation. And so Jesus is telling John the Baptist, he says, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness, or if you will, all salvation. In other words, he says, being baptized is a part of the means for the fulfillment of salvation. And so John, I need you to baptize me because I'm setting an example before the people what they need to do for their personal salvation. I'm telling you tonight, if you have not been baptized, you have yet to be saved. Amen. You have yet to be saved. Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be Baptism. That's the reason when we stand in the watery grave up here and we baptize people. We oftentimes say how it is more. It's more than just a confession of their faith that's taken place. It's more than just someone saying, I just want everybody to know that I have faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm being baptized in front of everybody's eyes so that you know I have faith and I have belief. No, 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 no. It's that, but it's that and a whole lot more. My baptism has something to do with my salvation. My baptism gets his name on me. And all through Throughout the Bible, a person's name was their character. A person's name was their identity. A person's name was the essence of who they are. And so whenever you get Jesus' name over you in baptism, you get his holiness on you. You get his righteousness on you. You get his power on you. You get his... Yes! That's a reason why it's important for the name to be evoked over you in baptism. It's not just a confession of faith. There is something that happens. Repentance and baptism takes that sin and removes it away. 1 Timothy 2 and 4, the Bible says who? The verses earlier tell you who. God will have all men to be saved. To come unto the knowledge of the truth. That's a very great verse. I pray this verse oft times. And the more that I pray it, the more that... It is so penetrating to my soul and spirit that God will have all men to be saved. It's God's will that people should be saved. 
let me stop here and, and help you with your witnessing endeavors. You're not barking up a tall tree when you talk to somebody about God because you're doing God's will because God's will is that all men should be saved. And furthermore, look at it. And to come into the knowledge of the truth. You hear me? You're not out there with some baloney pony garbage that you're trying to push down someone's throat. You're out there with the truth of God's word. And so whenever you exercise that in a witness, you are functioning in the will of God because it's God's will that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But in order for this to happen, all men to be saved, to fulfill that, to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill all salvation, those men must be baptized. Baptism isn't necessarily mentioned by name in the Old Testament. It's typified, of course, through the tabernacle plan, the outer court, the holy place, the holies of holies. Amen. We, we have the tabernacle plan. There, there's the, the altar, the brazen altar. There's the laver where the water is. There's that holies of holies where the presence, amen, of the Lord is by virtue of the ark of the covenant that's there. That's a representative of the presence of the Lord. And so the Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse 10, which, and it's referring to the tabernacle. If you read the verses down to verse number 10, the tabernacle stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and, and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Amen. But in that tabernacle was a plan that was laid out for mankind. It was that brazen altar where a sacrifice went and died and blood was first shed at the altar and some of that blood then was taken to the laver and mixed with the water and there was the washing of the priests of their hand and their feet before they could ever get into the presence of the Lord and then they would go into that holies of holies at finally and they would experience the power and the presence of the almighty God it was a death and a burial a washing and a resurrection even through the old testament tabernacle pram that was the way it was set the Bible even says concerning that labor of Exodus 30 and verse 18 thou shalt also make a labor of brass and his foot also of brass to wash withal. It's the purpose of the labor. Washing was the purpose of the labor. That thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar and thou shalt put water therein. And the purpose was to wash with all. That's a very good picture of our New Testament baptism. We go to a watery grave of baptism to be washed with all. From our head to our feet, totally submerged in the water in the name of Jesus Christ. And there is a cleansing effect. Huh? There is a cleansing effect. I've heard it more than once. Done a lot of baptisms over the, my life of ministry. Amen. Traveling and here. Amen. Listen, I've heard many people say, I can't believe how clean I feel. I can't believe how different I feel. Let me tell you, if we're, if we're basing that on Mount Carmel water, we're barking up a high tree. It has nothing to do with the water in Mount Carmel. But I tell you what it does have to do with. It's taking the old man and putting him under in the name of Jesus. There's a cleansing impact. There's blood and water are being mixed right there. The blood of their repentance is mixed with the water of their my God of their baptism and I just don't feel like I used to feel. I feel clean. I don't feel dirty anymore. Yes. Amen. It's a 
cleansing effect. That release of sins happening. That remission's taking place. If we could just see in the realm of the spirit when someone's baptized, it would totally change everybody's perspective concerning baptism of what actually is happening. <laughs> Folks, if we could just see the, the angels of heaven that's gathered around the pool as that person goes down with heavy locks and chains and encumbrances and fetters upon their hands and their feet and loads on their back and while they're under that water, they're unlocking everything, pulling every chain off and they get up out of that water, man, they feel a little bit lighter. They don't, oh my God. Oh, Jesus. It's a miracle that we need not shrug off. It is still a tremendous impact to be baptized in the lovely name of Jesus. And I'm telling you tonight, if you're walking around loaded over with guilt and shame and all that, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. You need to feel that cleansing effect, that cleansing power being buried in the name of Jesus. And just with repentance, you don't have to wait. Now I checked our baptistry to a little code. Somehow the thing got kicked off or it didn't circulate the water. But listen, it doesn't matter if it's cold water or hot water. It don't really matter. And I understand this, but it really doesn't matter if your relatives are here or not. A, a, a good rule of thumb throughout the, 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 the New Testament is this. People didn't normally wait to get baptized. Amen. Didn't usually the Philippian jailer wanted to know what he must do to be saved concerning Paul and Silas in the jail. They told him, and that same night, when, and this is always amazing to me, that same night that he took them to water to wash the stripes off their back, amen, he got buried in the name of Jesus in that water. The same water that was able to take care of their wounds in a very literal way was able to take care of his wounds in a very spiritual way. The same night. The Ethiopian eunuch, he says, water, and he says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Boom, 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 boom. Huh? Cornelius and those folks, they get the Holy Ghost. Huh? Right? And what does Peter say? He commanded them to be baptized, and they were. So we don't have to, we have to wait. And in case there's any misconception, we don't have a certain day out of the month that we set aside and we gather baptismal candidates for 30 days and whenever we get them, then we baptize. No, 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 no. We baptize you anytime. You want to get baptized in the middle of the night? Call me, we'll baptize you. Huh? You want to get baptized? No one else is here, we'll baptize you. You want to get baptized right now and interrupt this message? That's fine, we'll baptize you. Because I guarantee you, someday you're not using me or anybody else for any excuse concerning you not getting baptized. Honey, it is up to you. It is your choice, and you can have it right now. Why in the world would you want to go around with still a heavy load and chains and fetters of iniquity from the past upon your life? My God, individual, why don't you get set free from that bondage, set free from all of that, and walk in a new direction? There's no reason. No reason. The only thing I want you to do in order to be baptized is repent. And that's not me. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. <laughs> the Bible says in Acts 2 that those that gladly received Peter's word were baptized. In Acts 8, again, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. When they believed that, they were baptized. 
Also in Acts 8, again, the eunuch, seeing the water, said, What hindereth me? Saul no sooner got his sight back, fell from his eyes as though it were scales. And the Bible said he arose and was baptized. Amen. Acts 16, the Philippian jailer, again, all of these things, they were baptized in the moment. We didn't baptize you in a bathtub. It just so happens we have this pretty little guy, humongous baptistry back here. But if we didn't have that, we can still baptize you. Yeah. We, we, whenever this was down, we had the inflatable, the inflatable pool we put out over here. Right? Second church, we went down in the basement to a big old rustic heavy metal baptistry down there. It was rusting out on the inside and the outside and underneath side and everywhere side. Huh? Before that, at the first church, we didn't have a baptistry period. And we went to another church of baptizing. I've said it before, but I think it's important. It doesn't have to be running water. It can be still water, stagnant water, swamp water. Are you hearing me? It can be ice water. They've cracked the ice and baptized people. It can be a river, a lake, a pond, a swimming pool, a horse trough. It doesn't matter. But the element that you need is some water to be submerged in in the name of Jesus to be called over you. It can happen at a hotel pool or in a garden tub in a home as long as they get under the water and get the name upon them. There is a name I love so dear. Someone say hallelujah. Listen to me, listen to me. It is vital and important. We do not, we do not make any exceptions concerning it being immersion and it being in the name of Jesus. Hear me? No exceptions. I've, I've been reading here over the weekend. I read about 100 pages out of the book of, of uh, the development of uh, the apostolic Pentecostal in from about the 1900s forward. It's your book, as a matter of fact. I need to give it back to you. It's been on my desk forever. But... Our God is one is what it's called. And it's tracking all that. And so I've been reading through it. It's a pretty heavy read, pretty heavy read, uh, going through all the hoops of how this came about and how that came about. They didn't start all the way back at, at, at Acts 2. That would have been a real thick book. But, you know, but they, they're just marking it from, from about the 1900s, late 1800s forward and just reading it and stuff. And how, how, how there, listen, there has always been controversy. People have always tried to pervert what has been true. I've read it over and over in that book. People baptizing them in the name of Jesus and in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Just putting it all, you know, we, we just go cover all bases. I covered all bases when I said the name of Jesus. We don't flip on that. Listen to me. I'm saying this with purpose and intent, but listen to me. We do not, we do not, we do not. By no means compromise on that. God's word doesn't compromise. We do not compromise on that. Listen, if someone wants baptized, there's nothing keeping from baptized. Okay? If someone is not even per se physically able to get baptized, there's been people that's not been physically able to get baptized. They've taken them to pools with handicap access, had those things swung up, lower them down into the water, baptize them. If you're in the hospital and you're on your deathbed and your doctor's telling you you shouldn't baptize this man, he cannot, you're hearing me, he cannot legitimately keep you from that. You are owner of your own health. 
You, he cannot keep you. He can bark up and down all day long. All the nurses can bark up and down. What I'm telling you is the truth of that. This is absolutely the truth. He cannot keep you from getting baptized. Now, there, I know. You know, Larry, well, Brother McGee, someone get baptized like that. They could die when they got baptized. Well, at least I know where they're going. If they receive the Holy Ghost. Just, just this past spring conference in our district, we, we had a discussion concerning some things along these lines, and there was a man that stood up, and we had, we had a, a man that worked in the medical profession. He said all that stuff that I just told you concerning it didn't matter how sick you was, if the doctors are all that, if you want to be, they can't deny that you. You can be baptized, so on and so forth. And there was a pastor that stood up, uh, Brother Merrill Weir, uh, a pastor friend of mine, he stood up and he said it had not been that long ago, just a few weeks back. He said I had, I think it was a uncle he said he lived up a little bit more north his his health was horrible said his feet were literally deteriorating they had his feet wrapped up they were turning black and flaking off and the meat was deteriorating off of his feet he had all the tubes you know that you see when you go into a ICU room you know all the mechanisms that's hooked up to the body he had a hole in the side of, of of his side had all these particulars but he had repented and he wanted baptized he couldn't even stand on his feet because of the pain of the deterioration. Now that guy could have said, no, we can't do this because I'm in bad shape here. But no, he said, I want to be baptized. And there's only one way to baptize. That's immersion in the name of Jesus. Brother Weir said, I went up there, and there he is. He has all these tubes. He has this hole in his side. He can't even stand on his feet. We, we take him to one of the medical tubs there in the hospital, and it's filled up with water. We got all the tubes. They're holding on to him up in the air, and we get his body submerged down in that water and baptize him in the name of Jesus Christ. And when he come up out of the water, he jumped up on those feet that he could not be standing on. I'm telling you, you don't compromise on truth because truth will take you further even than you would ever go you hold on hold on hold on hold on to truth do it right do it the biblical way god will honor it god will honor it god will honor it I know it's a precarious place, folks. And people sometimes want you to do all kinds of things whenever someone is dying. But listen, as hard as it is, you know what you got to say? Respectfully, I, I, I cannot do that with a clear conscience concerning the Word of God. If you want to find somebody else to do that, that's fine. Are you hearing me? But according to God's Word, this is the way it is. I don't, because listen here, I'm not God. And I'm not sitting over here thinking, well, you know, should have, should have. No, 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 no. I'm going according to this, this book that he gave me. And this is what he gave us. And I believe it's pretty, pretty, pretty well written, you know. This is the way that it is. I'm going to leave everything else up to God. It's going to be in water, submerged. And it's going to be in the name. Amen. Oh, yeah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Folks, when you start talking about the plan of salvation and you start talking about the name of Jesus, it's just like with the two Emmaus boys. He shows up in the house and makes himself known. He likes people to talk about him. He likes people to talk about him. 
Helabo shata yabo kotoya heshehe. Helabo kotwale yabahaya. Yes! And I compromise in this. Honey, whenever I read, whenever I even read, brother, the, the, the crucifix of the Lord, and I read the trial, and I read the accusations, and I read everything leading up to that, and at times they would ask the Lord certain things. Art, art, thou, art thou the king of the Jews? Are you this? Are you that? There are many times he did not speak a word. He did not speak a word many times. Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you say you'd destroy the temple in three days you'd raise it up? He would not say a word. But any time it concerned his identity of his name, of who he is you do the research I've done it in Matthew Mark and Luke and John anytime it concerned his identity he didn't keep his mouth shut he opened his mouth and he let him know who he was honey if he didn't keep his mouth shut when at times he did then we need not keep our mouth shut concerning the identity of who Jesus is and how baptism should take place in the name of Jesus Jesus opens his mouth when people start talking about his identity. Amen. Woo! It's in the name. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved read the introductory verses from 1 to 11 the name it's speaking about is the name of Jesus Christ Colossians 3:17 whatsoever ye do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him we pray for people when we pray for them in the name of Jesus demons are cast out in the name of Jesus we pray in our private devotion in the name of Jesus we baptize in the name of Jesus honey whatsoever we do in word or deed we're going to do it in the name of Jesus that's where the power is that's where the authority oh God But Brother McGee, you'd fill your church up a whole lot more if you baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. If you would take the titles and you would evoke them over people, you'd have a whole lot more people come to your church if you would do that. If you would profess that you believe in the Trinity of, of, of three persons, amen, that's in one God. If you would profess that, that they're co-equal and co-eternal, you'd have a much, much fuller church. Honey, we might be filling up a church, but we're not full, filling up heaven by that type of preaching and by that type of thing. No, 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 no. The Bible lists at different times that people were baptized in the name of the Lord. Saul being one of them. In Acts 9, he comes, he comes even to the Lord. The voice from heaven speaks, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? He says, who art thou, Lord? Acts 9 and 5. Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said unto him, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. I don't have anybody. I don't have no problem with anybody being baptized in the name of the Lord because the name of the Lord is Jesus. The name of the Lord is Jesus Christ. Paul got this revelation on his way to the Damascus road. The Lord is Jesus Christ. That cleared everything up for Saul. He had been persecuting people because they were preaching this Jesus and he thought that Jesus was another God he thought that Jesus was another addition to his one and only Lord that he knew there was only one God but whenever he heard the voice from heaven and God in essence say I am Jesus I am Jesus I'm that spirit that's wrapped in flesh I'm that spirit that's come down and walked among you in flesh and blood everything became clear for Paul amen and he understood the God of heaven that I pray to is the Jesus that's walking in shoe leather right right now no problem baptize him in the name of the Lord which happens to be Jesus I don't got a new twist on anything Whenever you got to come up with a new twist on repentance, baptism, faith, and grace, watch out because you're headed down a slippery slope of trying to make something platable. The Bible says, number six, verse 22. We still have enough verses up there? Do I need to give a few more in case we're running out? Okay. Number six, verse 22. And the the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name, look at it, and they shall put my name upon the children of Israel. And I will bless them. I pointed this out before, but it's, it, it's refresh time. We're auditing the class again tonight. If you look in your Bibles, most Bibles will do this in, the, in Numbers here, chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. Most Bibles will do this. Whenever you come to the word Lord, it's not capital L, lowercase O-R-D, but most Bibles will put it as capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. And it does that with meaningfully. It does that with purpose. Because whenever the Lord, in, in a lot of English Bibles, when the Lord is found in all capital letters, it denotes God's covenant name that he had with his people. Otherwise known as Jehovah. Jehovah. <laughs> In the Old Testament times, there are many times that the name of the Lord was evoked or called over people. Jehovah. <laughs> this is nothing new, folks. I've preached this. I've preached just this, this, this stuff over and over here in the past X number of years I've been here. But it, it's, let's hear it again. Let's hear it again. Let's hear it again. He would evoke his name all times. Sometimes his name would be placed upon people, sometimes on places, and sometimes upon things. And it was important. Because where his name goes, his character goes. In Genesis 4 and verse number 26, all the way back at Genesis, the Bible says, And to Seth, 
the one that replaced Cain. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. The literal translation of that last phrase is this. That then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Literally is the name of the Lord was called upon them. So it isn't so much of what we read in our English Bibles. Men are calling on God. But it's that men are calling the name of the Lord over them. People. The name is being called, evoked over people. It happened over people. It happened over places. It happened over things. I preached this before. I preach it again. We got to get it in our hearts and minds. Because whenever the name is placed on these things, it denotes three primary things. It denotes ownership. It denotes redemption. And it denotes God's presence. Second Samuel 12 and verse... We got a lot of verses right here, folks. You're roll with me. Second, Second Samuel 12 and verse 26 through 28. Ownership, a name being placed on something for ownership, Brother Howard. The Bible says, And Joab fought against Rabbah of the children of Ammon and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and have taken the city of waters. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it. Joab's telling David, You take it, lest I take the city. And it be called after my name. He says, because whoever takes the city, his name gets put on it, denoting ownership. And he says, David, if you don't come and I come in there and I take the city, I put my name on it so I'm owning it. But you're king, so I want you to come so you can go in and you put your name on it, which is signifying you own it. Huh? The Bible also says in 2 Samuel 5 and 7, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. Why? Because David took it. He took the stronghold of Zion and he put his name on it. And so now it belongs to him. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I want to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because whenever his name gets on me, he's taken over me. He owns me. I belong to him. I'm not my own, the Bible says. I'm not my own. I've been bought with the price of the precious blood. I want his name on me because that declares ownership huh? of me. Exodus 19 and 20, Israel become God's people. Because he had placed his name upon them. He would oftentimes tell them. I am the Lord thy God. That capital L-O-R-D. I am the Lord thy God. Constantly telling that them that. Constantly drilling that in their head. He wanted them to know that I am your Lord. I'm your Jehovah. I'm your Jesus that saves. I am. And so as a, as a, as a result of this. Or prior even to this. Almost prophetically. He told them in Exodus 6 and 6. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel. I am the Lord. All capitals. His covenant name. That he had for Israel. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And he did. I will rid you out of their bondage. And he did. I will redeem you. With a stretched out arm. And with great judgment. The Lord, the covenant native God. 
speaks. I am the Lord, your God. Not only do I own you, but I'm going to redeem. Getting you out of Egypt, getting you out of bondage, getting you out of everything that you've been a part of for the past 400, 430 years. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to buy you back. The Bible says in Exodus 3 and verse 13, and Moses said unto God, this is Moses on the verge of returning back to Egypt to be and function as the deliverer for the children of Israel. Moses said unto God, he's had that burning bush experience. They're having conversation to be sent back. Moses as, as the deliverer for the people. He says, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, the God of your fathers have sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, what is his name? They didn't say, give me his title. That's right. Tell me, tell me, is it a king that's coming? Is it, is it, is it a, you know? <laughs> no, tell me his name. And, and they say, and they say, what, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, have sent me unto you. And God said, moreover unto Moses, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord, all capitals, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, have sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. See, Israel would have understood this. They knew God's covenant name, the big L O R. D, his covenant name. And they also knew this, that wherever the Lord's name is, his presence is as well. That's the reason why he said, I'm going to put my name upon this place. And this is where you'll bring your offerings. And this is where you'll bring your sacrifices. This is where you'll come to meet me because my name is here. They didn't have no problem with that. Because they know they knew if they were taking these things to a place where his name was. That his presence wasn't far behind. They knew that unequivocally. And so they knew then Moses if you are coming. And you're coming in his name. That his presence goes wherever his name is. His presence go wherever his name is. And so whenever Moses said, I come to you, I am that I am, which is, if you look at the Hebrew, it is the covenant name of the Lord. Amen. We understand they understood that then his presence was going to be there too. This wasn't a man that was just touting that he knew somebody. Amen. This was a man that was coming commissioned by the name and therefore would have the presence and the power that's associated with that name. Now, in the New Testament, we have Jesus. Which means Jehovah, that covenant name, that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the covenant name, Jehovah saves is what Jesus means. Same Lord. Jehovah saves. <laughs> so when I read James 2 and 17, you got a counter up there, don't you? Oh God, let's, let's move. James 2, 17. James says, he asks the question, do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? What? He says, do, let me put it in layman's terms. Do, do they not kind of cast a shadow, a misrepresentation of the worthy name that was evoked over them and that was placed upon them? You know what was going on? 
There was people that had taken the name of Jesus in baptism, but their life didn't reflect the name that was on their life. And that's just like the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, where it says, Thou shalt not take the name of thy, the Lord thy God in vain. Whenever you take his name in baptism and you live not reflecting the name that you have taken, you're taking his name in vain. Because when he puts his name upon someone, he, they're owned by him. And if they act outside of the character of that name, they bring a reproach upon the name they have taken. You all have a name. You try to protect your name, right? Try to protect your name. You got a family name. You know, you're McGee, and, and you might even said it to your children before growing up. Don't you be doing that. You're going you're gonna, to, you know, flaw the name of the family. Mar the name. Well, whenever we're acting like a bunch of demons, and we're supposedly got the name on us, Okay, let's move on. It type it right, right there. Acts 2 and verse 21. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, folks, folks, context is key all throughout the word. Please, context is key. Please do not strip one verse from the Bible and look at it and say, Wow, look at that. That's what it says. No, no, no. Read it in context. How would you like some people to take one sentence out of conversation you had? I guarantee you, we could take anybody's conversation in this place, take one phrase or sentence out of it, out of the context in which it said, and we can make you look really bad. Because context is key. So you take a verse, you strip it out of its context, you can make that thing say almost anything you want it to say. Add just a few more words to it or less words to it, put it up there. That's what it says. Baloney. Tell me what it all says. So whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Actual rendering, literal rendering of the verse is this. Whoever has the name of the Lord called upon them. What's it talking about? Baptism. Baptism. We're redeemed whenever the name gets on us. Acts 15 and verse 7. I gotta, I gotta move, I gotta move. And when there had been much disputing, you'll remember this from Acts 15, there's disputing over this whole idea concerning circumcision, whether or not the Gentiles received the Holy Ghost and the baptism in Jesus' name just like the Jews did. There's this big disputation. And Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the filling of the Holy Ghost, and believe and God which knoweth the hearts bear them witness giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us and put no difference between us and them purifying their hearts by faith you know what he says you know what he's saying he said they went through the same thing repentance baptism Jesus name infill in the Holy Ghost they are redeemed just as much as we are redeemed the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 11 and such were some of you remember the liars, cheaters, fornicators, idolaters the real long list of bad, 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 bad he said and such were some of you but Corinthians ye are washed but ye are sanctified but ye are justified in the name 
of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He says, that's who you was, but you've been washed and justified by the name in baptism and by the Spirit of God through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You are not that anymore. You've got a new name, a new owner. I've said it before. Sometimes we need to put a sign around our necks and say we're under new management. <laughs> I'm under new management. I don't have the same owner that I used to have. Amen. Because where God puts his name, he owns, he redeems, you're washed, sanctified, and justified by the Spirit. John 1 and verse number 12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Oh, you're part of the family. You got the family name. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of, the, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Someone say his presence. Uh -huh. As the only begotten the Father, full of grace and truth, as many as received him. Gave him power to become the sons of God. How did he give them that power? He gave them that power through his name. Uh-huh. And now as sons of God. They are experiencing his glory by virtue of baptism, by virtue of Holy Ghost and Philip. They're experiencing his presence. The Bible says in Matthew 1, I'm running, folks, if you, can't, if you don't recognize. Matthew 1 and verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name what? Jesus, for he shall do what? Save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by, spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus is that covenant name. Jesus in the New Testament is that covenant name of the capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament. Jehovah of the Old Testament and the Bible says here it is folks where his name goes his presence is they said whenever this virgin shall have a child and bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel being interpreted God with us because where his name goes he goes where his name goes if you get his name you'll get his presence that's how the Peter could say repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of the sins and ye shall 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 receive the gift of the Holy Ghost because where his name goes his presence will go that's the reason we, we don't have to have any doubts when people get baptized in Jesus' name. They are going to experience his presence. I know there's a lot of, well, sometimes not everybody that gets baptized get the Holy Ghost right away. We could talk about a bunch of different reasons why that doesn't happen. But the fact of the matter is this, according to the promise of his word, if they get baptized, they shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost because where his name's applied, that's where his presence wants to go. Yeah. Now, we could take a lot of this stuff and splinter off into a bunch of different areas. But I've already went through a lot. The two take-homes is this. Baptism is by immersion, and baptism is in the name of Jesus. And he put his name on people, places, and things. And whenever he did, that denoted ownership and redemption and his presence. That's, that's really, if you want to put it into a nutshell, that's what you take home. That's what you take in your heart. That's what you take to people that don't know. 
Salvation comes by no another. If you'll stand with me and I'll, I'll close. Been up here plenty long enough, and I. It, it behooves me. I'm telling you. I don't know how many times in my life I preached Acts 2.38 or repentance or baptism or Holy Ghost. I don't know how many times in my life I've probably done it. But I tell you what, I don't know. I don't know, Sister Deborah, of hardly time ever talking about it. That I don't feel God's presence come in the room like it did tonight somewhere along the way. I'm telling you the truth. I, I'm, I remember one time in Kentucky, I was, I was an evangelist. I stood up. I stood up. I had, a, I had a sermon prepared. I was going to preach and everything, you know. I was a good boy. I had prepared and everything. And I stood up to that podium and something was pricking me in my spirit to go to Isaiah and start to read how the prophet said that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And so instead of his name, I inserted the name Jesus. Well, 40 minutes later, I got done preaching on Jesus' name without notes. And God came in that place and there was a Trinitarian man that had been there that night. I didn't know it, but God did. You ain't going to go. I used to ask me and Brother Harris. I used to talk about all this stuff sometimes. And he'd always say, he'd say, Brother, Brother, I just don't understand these people to say they don't have anything to preach. They don't have anything to preach. They just need to go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 and preach it. That's what he'd say. I remember him saying that so many times. These people, oh, my, I just don't have anything else to preach. He said, we'll just go back and preach Acts 2, 38. It'll work. I've seen it work. If you need baptized tonight, there's water back here. Yes, it is cool. But it's not any less effective. We've had people get baptized around here in cold water. But it can happen. Man, it, it was last year, I think, sometime I was doing a series along lines of baptism, all that stuff. You know, it was during that series, I think it was, I think it was, I can't remember, I think it was Joe or somebody. There was a couple that got baptized during that series, and I think somebody got the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Why? Because we talked about it again. We talked about it again. And Sister McGee said it. That's oh, Bishop Steve Wilson. You say all the time, you get what you preach, boys. You get what you preach. You want giving, preach giving. You want signs, miracles, and wonders, preach it. You want people to receive the Holy Ghost, be baptized, preach it. You want righteous living, preach it. I probably still got the notes that I took off him that, that day. It was an evangelist conference. He was talking to us all as evangelists. He says, you want some of these things happening? So where are you going? He said, preach it. So I preach baptism tonight, and I want somebody not just to get wet, but get removal of sins. If you've not been baptized, I'm telling you, honestly, truthfully, all joking aside, you need to give some serious consideration to repentance and being born again of the water and the Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads all across this place this evening. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.